you want to turn to Numbers 21, if you want to follow along, I'm going to read verses 4 through 9, Numbers 21. So we pick it up, and the children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness. And the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. None of us have ever had that problem, right? (laughs) And they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. And then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it and be healed. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I just offer you this passage that we're looking at this morning as we approach Easter and as we're looking at Christ and who he is and what he accomplished for us on the cross and through rising from the grave. Father, I thank you for all the glimpses that you give us throughout your word and pray that you would just really Teach us and challenge us and maybe draw some of us, convict some of us through these words this morning in your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I don't like snakes. When, when we lived in the Philippines, we lived in the Philippines for three years, it wasn't sickness that concerned me, even though we were sick all the time. We probably caught amoebic dysentery the week we arrived in the Philippines and had it all three years we were there. Um, if you want to see kind of a picture of famine people, you could look at our pictures when we arrived at the airport after three years in the Philippines. We looked like these gaunt individuals. (laughs) Um, But it wasn't sickness, because even in our sickness, we asked our mission doctor if we could stay two more years, because God was just really beginning to open up a door to the Muslims that we were living among. And it wasn't the Muslim rebels that we lived among that worried us, even though Every day we heard gunfire, heavy artillery. We were caught in the bombing of a city one time. It wasn't the rebels, even though we were interrogated almost every day, the first six months we were there. That didn't bother us. It was snakes (laughs) that bothered me. Uh, The whole time we were there, it was like in the back of my mind that 
I was going to happen upon or turn a corner and there was going to be a cobra, you know, with its hood raised facing me down. But God in his mercy, the time a cobra was found in the woodpile outside of our house, we were on a vacation and our, our housekeeper found the cobra and nicely killed it for us. Um, but snakes, I hate snakes. They give me the eebie-jeebies. I, uh, I, don't, I don't like to look at them. I don't like to touch them. I, don't, I, I can't stand it when people have snakes you know, around their necks. So if you have a snake, I don't want to pet it. <laughs> um, and I realize that they're part of God's creation, just like skunk cabbage and stink stinging nettles. <laughs> but I don't want anything to do with them. You know, as I was thinking about this, <laughs> as I was thinking about this, I thought that it might be because I'm I'm too theological in my thinking. And everything about snakes in the Bible just brings of evil and a curse. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, for those of you that are familiar with the story, we have creation in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And then in Genesis chapter 3, the devil appears to Eve in the form of a serpent and deceives her. And, and along with her, Adam is taken up and deliberately they disobey God because of the deception of the serpent, Satan. And the whole of humanity falls to where we are where we are today because of the deception of Satan appearing as a serpent. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, this is what God says. Is, it says, as a result, the serpent was cursed by God more than all animals, domestic and wild. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, Satan is referred to kind of at the close um, of Revelation as that old serpent, <laughs> referring back to Genesis chapter 3. If you want to turn to Exodus, we're going to come back to Numbers, but there's another kind of interesting thing that maybe you've read in passing. In Exodus chapter 7, um, verse 8, And Moses is appearing before the Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And listen to what, this is interesting what it says. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand, show me a miracle. And when he does say this to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down in front of Pharaoh and it, it will become a serpent. You remember that? So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did what the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh called in his own wise men and sorcerers and magicians. And notice they did the same thing. They threw down their staffs, which also became serpents. But notice Aaron's staff swallowed up all their staffs. I, um, I did a little, little research on this. It's interesting. Egyptian magicians and... Um, 
sorcerers were actually snake charmers as a part of their, their uh, trickery. Um, and they charmed cobras so that they became stiff and dead like a stick. And so the staffs that the Egyptian magicians and, and sorcerers used were actually cobras that looked like sticks. And so when they threw them down, it looked like they were actually turning a stick into a, a serpent. Um, the chief evil god among the Egyptians was called Apep, A-P-E-P, -E and he was the personification of the deification of all that was dark and chaotic and evil. And um, he was their chief evil god among the Egyptians. And so this here is a powerful demonstration. It's what all the miracles were as God led his people out of Egypt, a demonstration of God's power over the power of this snake god, this powerful evil god that the Egyptians worshipped. In Deuteronomy 8.15, and we see it all throughout the, the wilderness wanderings, it talks about how these poisonous snakes that we see uh, talked about in Numbers 21 were a constant threat um, to the Israelites. They weren't pets. But I want you to look at one more verse before we come to, to Numbers 21. Isaiah chapter 14. So... And this is an interesting in light of what I've just told you. I mean, so in the scriptures, we see the serpent or snakes as this symbol of evil, this symbol of representation of Satan and what is evil. But now we notice we come to Isaiah 14, verse 29. And it's actually, a, it's like a prophecy to the Philistines. In verse 28, it says, This message came to me, Isaiah the year King Ahaz died. Do not rejoice, you Philistines, that the rod that struck you is broken, that the king who attacked you is dead. And that's a reference to King David, okay, who had subjugated the Philistines. For from that snake, isn't that interesting? I want you to know. So who's it referring? The snake is referring to who? David, yeah. And so what we see in this, in this verse and other places is that the snake not only refers to a symbol of evil, but also a symbol of like a curse. And so David was like a curse to the Philistines as God used David to break the power of the Philistines. For from that snake, notice it says, a more poisonous snake will be born, a fiery serpent to destroy you. And what we see is this is actually a messianic passage. And this fiery serpent, this snake that's going to come from the root of David is actually, it's a prophecy about the Messiah who's going to come and ultimately going to bring about the destruction of God's enemies and the blessings of God's people. Interesting. Why would the Messiah be referred to by this symbol of evil and curse? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Numbers 21, if you want to go back there. Numbers 21. We're just going to, just to look at the, the setting again really quickly. 
We see the people's sin, and we, we see it over and over and over again. Their impatience, their rebelliousness, they're speaking against God, they're speaking against Moses, they're complaining, they're ingratitude. I mean, they say, we hate this manna, and this manna was God's supernatural provision to provide for them while they are wandering throughout the wilderness, and yet they hate it, they're ungrateful, they're complaining. If we were to sum up the Israelites, they were just this fleshly group of people that all they cared about was themselves and what they, what they wanted at that moment. Almost sounds like us sometimes, right? And so God's response is, it's interesting. Notice what the people say. Oh, I'm in Joshua 21, just a second here. <laughs> Wrong. Notice what the people say. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? Is that what God had done? It's not what God did. God said, I brought you out of Egypt to bring you into the promised land. The the wilderness was their problem because of their disobedience. God didn't bring them into the wilderness to die. And yet it's interesting, as they say that, what is God's response? God's response is almost like, well, if that's what you're going to accuse me of, then that's what I'll do. And so he sends these poisonous snakes. They got kind of what they accused God of doing. And so then the people respond and they say, we sinned. You know, they crowd to God. They, they say, we've sinned. God, have mercy on us. And what do they ask? They say, please take the snakes away. You see that? The people ask God to take the snakes away. But then we see God's response. Is that what God does? No, God doesn't do that. This is one of the reasons I I really encourage you. This is one of the the fascinating things that that led me to want to be a student of God's word is just the exactness of God's word. And I just encourage you, as you read God's word, to read with curiosity. You know, I think probably most of us could read over that and say, you know, we don't even notice that. But, but notice those particulars that just show the accuracy of God's word. So they ask God to take the sin away. That's what we do, isn't it? So often, just God, take my problems away. God, take this out of my life. Take that person out of my life. Take that problem. Take that sickness. We just, we just want God to take stuff out of our lives But what is God's response? God didn't take the snakes away, but he had Moses do two things. And this is really important. First, he had had Moses make a replica of the snakes that were killing them. And I want you to think about this for a second. The, The snakes are killing the people, right? Have any of you ever been bit by a snake? Okay. I mean, just as it's described here, it's, and as I've heard accounts, it's agonizing, you know? And it's, it's terrifying. I mean, like just for me in the Philippines, it's like as I walk down, we visited a tribal group in the, you know, we stayed in a hut. And I tell you, walking on that trail... You know, it's just looking around the corner. Is there going to be a cobra there? And this has got to be terrifying. These snakes are all around them, and they're biting them. 
And what does God ask Moses to do? To make a replica of the snake. Did it ever dawn on you that takes time? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That took, that took some time. That wasn't just like, oh yeah, I had to, happened to have one in my backpack. That <laughs> took some time. This wasn't a quick process. And I, I think it was, uh, and this was all deliberate on God's part, and, and this fir first part it was God wanting the people to realize the horribleness. See, the people just wanted it out of their lives, the problem out of their lives. God wanted them to realize how serious the problem was. Their complaining, their impatience, their rebelliousness, and the horribleness of these snakes biting them, and the searing pain of the poison. As Moses is building this snake, you know, making this snake, he's wanting the people to to realize the horribleness of what they'd done. And then to put it on a pole. He was to make this replica of this snake and then he was to put it on a pole. I think, first of all, it was to make them look at what was killing them. To look at it. Um, I think oftentimes that's the opposite of what we do. Oftentimes that's the very... I mean, for me and talking to people, that's, that's the thing we try to avoid doing. We try to avoid our problems. We try to avoid what is killing us. We try to keep busy. <laughs> you know, we ignore it. We, you know, but he wants them to look at it. It's the snake. He's, he made a replica of what was killing them. And they're to look at it. And it's interesting, as they're looking up, where is the problem? It's down below. And, and if, if they're worried about snakes biting them, what would they be doing? Well, they'd be trying to look at where the snakes are at to avoid the snakes, right? But if they got to look up at this pole, then that means they're not looking at the snakes, avoiding the snakes, and so it's requiring them to absolutely look at what is killing them instead of avoiding it and to trust God and what he has said, that if you look at it, you'll live. Meaning they got to look away from the snakes and avoiding the snakes and just absolutely trust God and what he has said. And what he has said does not make any sense at all. Do you know to that? It does not make any sense at all. How many of you know that by think that by looking at a snake, you'll be healed of a snake bite. That just, yeah. I don't think that's probably in very many doctor's manuals. God is drawing them to absolutely trust him. To see the horribleness of their sin, look at it, not avoid it, not rationalize it, look at it and trust him that he is the one that will heal them when they're bitten. And what are the people required to do then as we come to the end? They're simply required to look and they will live. That's it. Look. Meaning obey. Take God at his word. Trust God that when he says looking at the snake will heal you of your snake bite, 
that God will do that. To look and to live. God wanting them to know that healing, their healing, their life, their living would be absolutely his doing. Not theirs at all. So the question is, why would God do it that way? Why would God do it that way? Why wouldn't God say, Moses, make up, you know, make up some little salve and everybody that's bit, you know, put the salve on the snake bite. Why would God do it this way, the way that was just described? Well, I believe it gives us another wonderful glimpse of Christ in the Old Testament. It's an amazing glimpse. If you turn to John chapter 3, John chapter 3 in the New Testament, and a glimpse of where all healing and all deliverance and all salvation comes from by looking to Christ alone. It's such an amazing passage. John chapter 3, verse, verses 14 and 15. Notice it says, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, okay, that that takes us back to Numbers 21. Just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, that's how Christ referred to himself as the Messiah, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Or you could say, so everyone who looks to him will live. What do we see here? Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, Christ must be lifted up. So looking to Christ in the same way that the people of Israel looked at the serpent and lived, we can live. Isn't that amazing? Well, first thing we see is our sin. In Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think that's the first thing, it's, it's the setting for this in the same way that the people sin. The setting for this is that we've got to come to the realization, yeah, yeah that's us. Just like the people of Israel. We're impatient people. We're ornery people, rebellious people, complaining, ungrateful. Well, at least I am. Maybe you guys are angels. That's us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the response then is, just like the snakes, in Romans 6.23 it says, the wages of sin is Death, meaning you sin and just like if you work for me at the coffee oasis, you put in 10 hours, I pay you for nine hours. No, I I pay you for 10 hours. (laughs) (laughs) The wages that you get is money if you work here. The wages of sin is death. That's the result of sin. It's death. In... In Isaiah 59, it says, Our sins have separated us from God. (laughs) Death. 
So what is our response? Well, our response should be kind of like the, the, when the Pharisee and the guy who's called a sinner stood in the, they came into the temple together and the Pharisee stood up and he said, oh God, thank you that I'm not like this guy. I fast and I give alms and I do all kinds of stuff. And, and the sinner, he just fell down on his face and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He understood his sin. And he said, just God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God, and Jesus, in asking the people that he was speaking to, said, well, which one left right in God's eyes? Was it this Pharisee who thought he was all righteous or was it this sinner who just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? And he says, it's that, that sinner. Understanding our sin, understanding the consequences of that sin, separation from God, our response needs to be, God, help. Like the people of Israel, they cried out and said, help. And what is God's provision then? Well, just like Moses lifted up the snake on the pole, so Jesus was lifted up on the cross. I, I hope you get the parallel because it's a powerful parallel that goes back to Isaiah 14 and the Messiah being called a snake, a curse. It was a powerful glimpse looking ahead to the Messiah, Jesus coming, lifted up on the cross as our Savior because he became our sin. That's it. What an amazing glimpse. Just as what was killing them, the snake was put on that pole that they would look at it and live, so what was killing us was put on the cross, our sin in Christ. That's the amazing story of what happened on the cross as Christ was lifted up on the cross. He was there, hanging there with our sin. And as our curse. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Last Monday night I encouraged everybody to memorize this. And I would encourage you all to memorize it. It captures the gospel so beautifully. God made him who knew no sin. So you say, God the Father made Jesus who knew no sin, absolutely sinless. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's what happened on the cross. Christ became our sin and we get his righteousness. That's a good deal. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, and I'd like to read it. Galatians 3, 13. Listen to this. Um, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. God's provision, as Moses put the snake on the pole, 
Christ on the cross became God's provision for our sin as he hung there as our sin, as our curse. To me, one of the best illustrations I've seen of this was in the third Matrix movie. When Neo was battling Mr. Smith and Mr. Smith was rapidly multiplying and Neo was realizing that he would never win as Mr. Smith was just multiplying and multiplying evil Mr. Smith. Did any of you remember what brought about the destruction of Mr. Smith? It's when Neo became Mr. Smith. And in becoming Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith was destroyed. It's a beautiful picture of what happened on the cross. It's exactly what happened on the cross as Christ became our sin. The sinless Lamb of God, the sinless Son of God, became on the cross took upon himself on the cross our sin. By doing that, he destroyed the power of sin. He paid the price of sin. He broke the curse of the law and provided for us salvation. Isn't that amazing? What our God did for us on the cross. And our, requir- and our required response, look and live. Look to him and live. So, just in closing, two suggested ways for us to look and live, depending on where we're at this morning. There are some of us here this morning, maybe some of you who have never looked to Jesus and lived. You haven't yet looked to him as your savior. You've been avoiding your sin or or rationalizing it, saying, I'm I'm a good person, or I'm doing my best, or I'm trying to keep the Ten Commandments, or, or just avoiding it. I'd like to encourage two things from you this morning as you look. As you look at Christ on the cross, that first you'd look and you'd see your sin there killing him. It should have been killing you. It's killing you. It's destroying you, your sin. It's sending you to an eternity away from God. Look at it and see what your sin is doing, killing you and killing him. That's the beauty of what happened on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believed on him should not perish like those people dying from those snake bites, like us dying from our sin, separated from God, and eventually, eternally separated from our God, will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why? Because what happened on the cross was him being judged for our sin. So I ask you this morning to see your sin that put him there and to see him there paying for your sin.
experiencing God's judgment against sin and providing your salvation. And I, I just encourage you to look this morning to Jesus and live. And then number two, there's some of us here this morning who need to look again <laughs> to Jesus on the cross. And we've, we've already looked and, and we're living, we're experiencing Christ's eternal life, but we need to look again to him on the cross there as our healer, <laughs> as our deliverer, as our comforter. I encourage you this morning to look to the cross and see there your pain on the cross on Christ. The pain that you're struggling with. The addiction you're struggling with. That habit, that sickness, that sin that's hurting you, that's hindering you, that it's enslaving you. To look at it. It's there. That's where it is. That's Christ took it there on the cross. See it there on the cross being paid on your behalf in the person of Jesus. Your anger that you think you can't do anything about, your unforgiveness. See it there on the cross. Your sickness, your weaknesses. There it is. Look at it. It's killing him. So it doesn't have to kill you. He paid for it so you can be free from it. That's the beauty of what happened as Christ hung there on the cross as our curse, as our sin. It's killing him. It's paid for. He said, it's finished. Tetelestai, paid in full. you can live in Christ. Look and live. Let's pray. Father, absolutely amazing. Your gift of salvation, your gift of healing, of forgiveness and of freedom. Thank you so much, Jesus, for what you became for us so that we could become children of God. Amen.